0: Awesome, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for your talents. Oh man, I'm tired. I just got back from running the marathon. I'm a little tired. A little. <laughs> <sighs> you laughed a little too hard. You think I can't do it? I've done it. I've done it. Lon, we did it together one year, remember? A long time ago. Uh, so, Um, How many of you are teachers, professional, paid school teachers? Raise your hands. Elementary, junior high, high school, college? Yes. We love our teachers. We need to applaud for them. (laughs) We love our teachers. Teachers, um, we are who we are because of our, many of us, because of our teachers. I bet you, you teachers are teachers because somewhere along the line you had a teacher and you're like, I want to be just like them when I grow up. I'm going to do what they do, and that's what really good teachers do, right? They they emulate what they want their students to be like. Yeah, I teach math, so do math like me, and then you're going to be really good at math or English or history or whatever those may be. I went to um, uh, Torrance High School, Southern California. Torrance Tartars, go Tartars! Um, (laughs) If you saw Unbroken, Louis Zamperini, we went to the same high school. Yes, he was a runner. I was a runner. The similarities end right there, though. (laughs) In high school, uh, freshman year, algebra, had a teacher. His name was Mr. Holtz. Mr. Holtz was um, so important, so big, so fearful that you began to hear the name Mr. Holtz in junior high. Not joking. Are you going to take Mr. Holtz next year? My eighth grade math teacher, Mr. Phelps, would say, um, but when you take Mr. Holtz next year, that's not how you're going to be able to do it. I mean, by the time my freshman year rolled around and I had Mr. Holtz first period in high school, first day, I was completely terrified of the uh, incredible stories I've heard about this teacher, Mr. Holtz. So I walk in the room, first day, freshman year in high school, come in, and then Mr. Holtz, is, he stands uh, in the middle of the room as you walk in like this, this public high school Stands like this. Mr. Holt's not very tall, but had like this staff sergeant kind of chest out, tight cropped hair, little mustache, and he just stood there. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You come in and he says, here's what you will do from this day going forward when you walk into my room. You will put your backpack or your books under your table. You will take out two number two pencils, and two blank sheets of paper. You will place those on your desk, and when the bell rings, your eyes, your face will be forward, and there will be no more talking. And I was like, sir, yes, sir. (laughs) This little 13-year-old freshman, I was terrified. In Mr. Holtz's class, you did not look left or right to your other students. You never talked to your students. Mr. Holtz told us there's no reason to talk to anybody else in this room. And the beginning of, and if you dropped your pencil on the floor, that's why you had two. <laughs> not kidding. If you dropped the second one, you had to raise your hand and God help you, <laughs> ask for permission to pick it up. I'm not kidding. This public high school. Beginning of class, a student would come up. He would read the answers to the previous night's homework. You would check your work. Mr. Holtz would lecture for the next however long there was left, 30 minutes. If you had any time, you could begin the homework that was always written up on the board. And when the bell rang, you did not get up and leave until Mr. Holtz said, dismissed. One morning, the bell rang, and just sort of instinctively, I just kind of jerked up out of my seat and froze, like, and then just kind of slinked slowly back down. And he just stared there, stood there and stared at me like this. It seemed like an hour. It was probably five seconds. And then he said, dismissed, and like slinked out of the room. And then everybody laughed as I'm walking down the hall. Way to go, McElwee. That was Mr. Holtz. But here's the thing about Mr. Holtz. I learned algebra because I did it exactly the way he told me to do it. It was the only way to learn algebra is to do it exactly the same way. Because one thing we all learn in algebra it doesn't change. It's still the same today as it was yesterday. To be a good at algebra, I had to do it exactly like him. I had to commit to doing it exactly like Mr. Holtz taught it, and he, he put it into us, if you do it this way, you'll get an A. If you do it this way, you'll get an A. There's no other grade you can get. There's no other way you can do it. If you do it this way, you'll get an A. If you do it just like me, you'll do well, and that's exactly what I did. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I want you to put yourself in this place where I'm being taught by God. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about um, orphans, widows, and special needs. These are three groups that nobody really asks to be in, right? Nobody says, Boy, I just hope I have a special need someday. I hope Alzheimer's is coming my way, or Parkinson's, or, or multiple sclerosis as an adult, or anything like that. And yet, some of us find ourselves in this category. One thing I do know for sure is that if you are married, you are going to likely experience being single again someday. 100% sure of that. It is rare that both spouses go at the same moment. And oftentimes, it's the men who die first, and so we have many, many widows. In fact, we have 160-plus widows at Wheaton Bible Church that we know of. And then orphans as well. We know that we have many. I mean, I've adopted a child um, almost one year ago this month was our, is our anniversary date of Hank as a part of our family. And I know that sometimes that's a painful experience for people. So as we talk about orphans and widows and special needs, I want you to know that um, my wife and I have had a widow in our family. Laura's um, stepdad died about seven or eight years ago, and we walked through being a widow with her mom for a while. And my wife is a special needs um, uh, occupational therapist at Easter Seals. We've uh, we had special needs in our family and talking about it for as long as I've known Laura. And I was a special needs um, uh, uh, part-time teacher right out of college for a year. And, and so we, I, we, we've experienced a lot of this. And so I want you to know that if you find yourself in one of these three categories, and if somehow, some way, I am being insensitive, I just want you to give me a little grace because it's just an accident. But I know how sensitive this is because sometimes we say things that are just incredibly insensitive to you. And so let me apologize ahead of time if that has happened to you. But God has some special things to say um, to us as a church about special needs and widows and orphans. And that's what we're going to hear. And I want to start in Isaiah chapter 1. So if you can open up your Bibles uh, to Isaiah. And it's on page 679 if you've got the, the Pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 1. Now Isaiah is writing to the people of Israel, and Isaiah is a prophet. He is speaking literally the words that God gave him to speak to the people. Uh, Israel has been um, naughty. Is not, naughty is not even the word. They have been uh, willfully disobedient to God, and now God is speaking to them. And, and what can only be said as the harshest terms possible. Okay, so listen to these words, starting at verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of God, of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah are long gone. This is God calling them out, saying, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah, which, by the way, the worst cities ever ever created, ever on the planet. God literally just swept them from the planet. It was that bad because Sodom and Gomorrah are long gone. He's not speaking to them now. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to ap- appear before me, who asks this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Right? So right now you're thinking, I'm so glad he's not talking to me right now. And others of you are like, I hope nobody knows he's talking about me right now. That's the Israelites. The Israelites, what? We've been praying? We pray like no other. You told us to pray. We've been praying. You told us to sacrifice animals when we sin, and we sacrifice like no other. We are devoted to you like no other people on earth. We are your people. What? What? And God is like, I don't hear you. I don't see you. I am sick of you. Whew. Whoa. What is going on? Now, I hear this, and I go, okay. You know, I'm the Israelites. I get it. Well, here's what God is saying. Here's what he's really saying. We just need to do it better. Just a little better. We just need to tweak do it a little better, because I know I'm supposed to worship you, and this is how I worship you, and so I'll just do it a little better. Alright, I, mean, I was praying for like two hours a day, I'm going to wake up an hour early, we'll make it three hours a day. Maybe the calves were not the best calves, because I've been kind of skimping on buying the fat ones, I'm going to get the best ones, I'm just going to do it a little bit better. I'm going to lay down before you, I'm going to humble myself even better, because that's what I do, because as a human, I like to quantify my worship, right? This is what we do in the 21st century. We, we quantify what we do. We say, all right, you know, Lord, I'm going to go to church every week, every single week, and then I'm going to go on Good Friday and on Christmas Eve, and if that's not on Sunday, that's 54 times a year. I'm good, and I'm going to tithe, because the Lord told me to tithe, and I'm not going to be skimpy. I'm going to give tens of thousands of dollars to the church over my lifetime, right? That's what we would say today. And then could you imagine if you do that, and then God says, I don't even see you, Wheaton Bible Church. Your music is screeching to my ears. Your money is worthless to me. And you'd be like, what? Well, we just need to give more. We just need to tithe more. We just need to worship more. You know, let's start a Wednesday night service. And, you know, if that's not enough, we'll go Thursday. And then I'll get up every morning to come to prayer. You know, let's start a prayer thing. We'll just do more. And you can hear God say no, no, and no more. What? What is going on? We like to quantify what we do because when at the end of the day, we're like, hey, God, look, look at my record here. I mean, come on, you got this awesome spreadsheet up there with you. You can see my name, Chris McElwee, and every Sunday of my existence, and you can see the gold stars by my name. Dude, I'm in, right? And then, you know, you look at the other going down, you look at the tithing, I'm good, I gave way more than 10%. Way more. Like, God, you owe me, bro. I did it exactly the way you told me. We like to quantify because it justifies us. But what that does is it kind of creates a self righteousness that we have. And that's not what God wants. We like to but what God wants, He wants us for to worship, of course, to tithe, of course, in the Old Testament, to sacrifice. Yes, yes, and yes. He wants all of that, but it's not just that. Oh, okay, so what is it? What is it? Well, fortunately, Isaiah goes on, verse 16 here's what you are to do. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. What what am I doing that's wrong? I'm worshiping like I I can't worship you any harder. Here's what he says, verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. In Israel, they were in war. They were being attacked by uh, all kinds of foreign nations. When you go to war, people die. When men die, there are widows, many, many widows, not just from natural death, but early young widows, and their children become fatherless. And in war, when um, wicked nations come, they wipe out whole villages. And sometimes mom and dad dies. So there are widows, there are orphans, and apparently the people of Israel are worshiping and worshiping and worshiping, but had completely turned their back on the widows and the orphans. And God's like, I can't stand you anymore. Because you worship me, and yet you marginalize the widows and the fatherless in your community. And I love the widows and the orphans. Several places in the Bible, God talks about widows and orphans. Look at Deuteronomy 10. I'm going to have it on the screen. 18 and Psalm 68. Here's what the psalmist says: He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 146:9. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Zechariah 7.10, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. This happens dozens of times in the Old Testament where God mentions widow and the fatherless in the same sentence. In fact, oftentimes he mentions the foreign born, the widow and the fatherless all in the same sentence as people we're to pay special attention to. We're going to talk about the foreign born, the alien among us in a few weeks when Dr. Danny Carroll is here on October 25th. But the widow and the fatherless, God seems to point out together in the same sentence over and over again. In fact, you rarely find the two not together in the Old Testament. It's always widow and the fatherless. And then in James chapter one, verse 27, the brother of Jesus writes, "This is a verse that sustained Laura and I in the two-year process of our own adoption that just completed um, a year ago when we brought Hank into our home. But James 1: 127. Here's what James writes. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. Now he's using religion in the most positive word. I know today religion's kind of a bad word. In fact, Christians, we put this on our t-shirts. We say, oh, you know, religion, that's us trying to reach up to God. That's not what James is talking about here. He's like, this is the pure religion. This is the whole thing. This is what we're to be. And look what he says in verse 27. He says, Says, worship every Sunday, tithe everything you can tithe. That's exactly what pure religion is, isn't it? No, it's not what he says. He says, pure faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Of course we're to worship. Of course we're to tithe. That's not the ditch the car is is crashed into. The ditch the car is crashed into is the ditch where nobody's paying attention to the widows and the orphans. Why is this so important to God? Because this behavior reflects our belief about who God is. If we care about the orphans and the widows, and we believe uh, in God, then God must care about the orphans and widows. Let's flip that around. If God cares about orphans and widows, then we as followers of God ought to care about orphans and widows the ones who are the most marginalized in our culture. Now, by the way, just so you know, orphans and widows is not the exclusive list of the people we are to care for, okay? We all know this. There are single um, older women who are not widows. Maybe they've just been single their whole lives. They need special care. There are all kinds. I mean, the list goes on and on. And yet God does name them by name repeatedly, widows and orphans. Why? because it reflects our relationship to God. If you want God to walk with you, then you must commit to being like God. You must commit to being like God if you want God to walk with you. And God... His son, Jesus, is our model for who we are to be like. He is our teacher. He is our, He's like Mr. Holtz my freshman year. If I want to learn algebra, I need to be exactly like Mr. Holtz. If I want to be like God, then I must commit to being like Jesus. And Jesus cares about orphans and widows because God the Father cares about orphans and widows. Do you see the importance here? And so a church that turns its back on orphans and widows is probably not a church at all. Someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus but does not care about the most vulnerable in its society may not actually be a follower of Jesus regardless of what you say. Anyone can come in here and worship. Anybody. We do not check Christian IDs at the door. Are you a Christian? Okay, come on in. Come on in. Are you? No, no, you go over there. No, you come, we do not, anybody can come in and worship. You can raise your hands, you can sing as off-key, as loudly as you want in our church, and you can put money into the plate. It does not make you a follower of Jesus. It's part of it. But if you only do that, and you do not, do not observe and care for the orphans and the widows and the other most vulnerable in our society, then you may not actually be be saved is the implication here whoa so some of you are like i'm glad he's not talking about me and others of you are like i hope nobody knows that he's talking about me and as i read this i'm convicted do i always pay attention to the vulnerable do all of my decisions reflect my relationship with Jesus in my life, and so I have to repent. Sure, yes, I just went through a process of of adoption, but that does not grant me any kind of special like, oh, Chris, you are definitely in, dude. You adopted an orphan. Good. You get like three gold stars by your name up there on that Excel spreadsheet. No! Not everybody's called to bring a child into their home. Some of us are called to, to take care of the person who's suffering with cancer, who lives around the corner from us, or the classmate of, of a student or a classmate of, of one of your children who are, whose parents are going through a divorce or, or losing their home because they've lost their job. Whoever the vulnerable is that's near us, that's who we are to care for. And yet God does name, again, orphans and widows as a special, special group. And because they're special to God, they ought to be Special to us. If we are going, if we want to have God walk with us, we must commit to being like God. Now, I have some special friends out in the atrium I want you to visit today if you feel led to do so. Um, There's a a Christian who started an organization called Safe Families. What Safe Families does is they provide care to families with children who find themselves in crisis and unable to safely care for their children. And you may be like, what? How can can any loving parent not be able to safely take care of their children? Well, maybe they've moved here from out of state, they have no safety net, and they find out they need to have uh, an appendectomy, an emergency appendectomy. And what are they going to do with their kids? Put them in foster care? Or maybe um, a parent, a family goes through a crisis. Maybe one of the parents gets arrested. Maybe they lose um, their job. Maybe they have a pay cut and they're homeless. And they don't want to take their child from shelter to shelter or live in their car. They need a safer place. So that's what Safe Families does. It provides a place for parents to bring their kids. And so you open up your home to a child in crisis for a week, for two weeks, maybe for just 48 hours. It's not Foster care, it's pre-foster care. We want to prevent children from going to the foster care system because once children go into the foster care system, the chances of them actually being reunited with their family drops drastically. It happens, we hope it does, but the percentages drop. What if, what if Wheaton Bible Church said to DuPage County, to every single family in crisis, every single family that finds themselves with a child in crisis, if you have a crisis and you have a need, you can bring your child to us. We will take care of your child, we will love your child, we will feed your child, we'll make sure they get to school, and when your crisis goes uh, goes away, we will gladly bring the child back to you. What would that say about our church? What would that say about our God? If you want to have God walk with you, you must commit to be like him, and I believe Jesus would invite every single child he could to be with him in times of need. If you're interested in safe families, you need to go and speak with um, April out there in the atrium. So that's orphans and widows. Now I want to talk about special needs. So In the 1st century and pre-1st century, you know, what were special needs? We know so much more in the 21st century about the who's, the what's, the why's, the how's of special needs. And yet, there are times when we don't do it on purpose all the time, but we marginalize those with special needs. Um, We don't treat them with the dignity that they deserve. And we can learn something from the Bible about this, especially from John chapter 9. So I want you to flip to the New Testament to John chapter 9. One of my favorite stories in the book of John is this story. I love this story. I love the message that Jesus is communicating. I love the subversiveness of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is going along. His public ministry has started, and in John chapter nine, excuse me, in John chapter nine, he, he comes along uh, a man who was blind since birth. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing now, you have to read the rest of the story. We can't this morning, but you just, just later today, read the rest of the story, because it's, it's an amazing story of what happens to this man next. But what I want to point out here is Jesus' concern for the blind. Now, first century, why were you blind? I mean, there, science could not, did not have the, 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 not, the technology, the know-how to be able to explain, like from a scientific perspective, the genetic disorder or whatever happened, why somebody was born blind, we, we don't know. And so religious people, now this was Jesus' disciples, but it's, you know, easy to say that Pharisees and others were around Jesus during the teachings like this. And they're like, yeah, why was he born blind? Now, there were some beliefs about the way people were born blind. One of them was, well, the child must have sinned in the womb. You know, because if you sin, you, you, you get punished. And, you know, it must have been a big sin to be born blind, right? That's one theory. The other theory was like, well, the parents clearly sinned. Because, you know, being blind, that's clearly a judgment from God. And you know, if this, the parents are sinning, they must have done something really horrible and they didn't repent. So their child was born blind. So Jesus, which is it? Well, who sinned? Who sinned here? And you see kind of the ignorance of the, of the disciples even? Like, well, clearly. And Jesus, like neither of them sinned in verse three. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, why is he blind? Because God is going to do something special with him. Gonna do something special, something unique with him. Now, in this particular instance, Jesus healed him. He didn't have to spit in the dirt. He didn't have to put the mud on the eye. That was a whole other thing. That's a whole other sermon. But that's the way he did it right now. That's the way he did it here. He could have just said, "All right, you're healed. You could be blind." In fact, Jesus could have just said, "Anybody around? Could be. You could. All of your needs are taken care of. I'll just heal everybody right here like that." But that's not what Jesus is doing here. What he's doing here is he's communicating something about the future, the future kingdom. The kingdom that's invisible to his disciples right now, but he's trying to reveal it in bits and pieces. And one thing we know for sure in the kingdom with Jesus, there are no blind people. So Jesus heals this man. What he's telling them is like in my kingdom to which I am the king with God the Father, there are no blind people. Today there's going to be blind people. There are going to be paralyzed people they are going to be lepers. they are going to be paralytics. Those are all people that are mentioned in the Bible. Jesus heals many of them, but it's safe to say not every single person was healed. Why? Because God does special things with people with unique and special disabilities. My friend Allison, who leads our Shine ministry here, Shine is our ministry to special needs, um, uh, families with kids and adults. And Allison, I was talking to her, and I'm like, gosh, Allison, you know, um, I've never preached on this. My wife's an occupational therapist. She works with special needs kids, um, autistic kids, and all kinds of um, kids who have all kinds of special needs. And so we're very familiar with the stories. We have good friends who um, have kids with autism or special needs, and we, we know lots of people. And But what 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 would you have me say? And so she gave me a whole bunch of really great materials, but one thing kind of stuck out. It was from um, a, a ministry called uh, Elam Christian Services. They're here in Illinois. It's a school and a whole program for special needs. And and I love the way Elam kind of framed this, um, you know, this challenge. And so the fir- they kind of have like these stages of progression that we ought to have as Christians towards those with special needs. And here's the first stage is, is just ignorance. It, it's just ignorance. It's just like, I don't know why God um, caused you to be blind. I don't know why God caused you to be disabled. And you know what? Honestly, I don't even have the time to care. And that, 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 that might, hopefully that's n- none of you. But we know that that is some people. Like, I don't have the time. You know, you're, you're, you're never going to be able to advance very far in life. And I just don't have the time. And, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe your mom was addicted to drugs or something when you were born. And that's just too bad for you. But, uh, you know, I'm just going to go about it and just ignore you. And that's ignorance. And, and certainly nobody wants to be ignorant. But that's the first kind of stage, and we don't want that. Then the next stage is, is, it's pity. It's pity. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. That is just horrible. And gosh, you know, to be honest with you, um, I'm so glad that my kids aren't like that. You know, I, you know, I'm sorry for you, and boy, you know, deep down inside, I'm, I'm, I'm glad my kids aren't like that. Th- that's pity. And, and that's kind of what the disciples are like. They're ignorant of, of what's going on here with the blind person. They don't know why he was blind. Clearly somebody sinned. And, you know, you can, you can imagine, because we know that the poor, well, when you find people with special ability, disabilities in the Bible, they're almost always begging. That's the story, they're, they're be- they're, the paralytic was begging by the gates. The blind person was not allowed to go and worship because everybody thought he was a sinner. And they were marginalized. They were ignored and they were pitied. That's not helpful. And that's not what Jesus would have for those who love him. Instead, we ought to be moving to the next stage, which is actually caring for special needs. This is what Jesus' message is to the disciples. When you see a blind person, do not ignore them. Do not pity them, but instead care for them. In some cases, you may actually be able to heal them of their affliction, and we do so for the glory of God, but sometimes, no, they're just going to be like this. This is the way I created. There's another something else that I'm going to do through them, but we are going to care for them. Why? Because they were created in God's image just like you. And because they were created in God's image, they have value, they have dignity. And so our attitude should be like, I am going to support whatever needs to be supported in order to care for as many people with special needs as care. In fact, I think I'll help our church care for those with special needs. And I am so thankful that I can come up for, uh, in front of you on a Sunday morning and say, we've got an amazing special needs ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church. Amazing. Amazing. I know how hard it is to get my family here to church on time on Sunday mornings, and I am not worried about, I'm not worried about any of you pointing and looking strangely at my child because their face looks different, or because they walk with a limit, limp, or they have a helmet on, or giant earmuffs on, and I'm not worried about that. But special needs families are Because this is how they live their lives. Their children look and act differently than most children. And so to get up and go to church on a Sunday and get them dressed and get to the parking lot and get them into the Sunday school room and then just like roll your eyes every time somebody looks a little differently or treats your child a little differently, those are kind of barriers to actually coming to church, don't you think? The Wheaton Bible Church doesn't do that. We have an amazing ministry called Shine. And last year, because of your generosity and because of your continued generosity going forward, we were able to go to a full-time staff person to lead our Shine ministry. And we were able to expand the space we use for special needs ministries. And we're beginning, as these children grow up in our church, as young adults and adults, to develop programs that will care for them as well because this is what a church does. It reflects the heart of God. And because we want God to walk with us, we are committed to being like Him, especially towards those with special needs. That's what care is. We want to move beyond care to friendship. Friendship. Not just like caring for them, but like, do you have a special needs person in your life that you can call a friend? You will be blessed by it if you do. My my whole family participates in the Shine neighborhood Bible club in the summer. They have friends who have special needs, and they love their friends with special needs, and it's expanding what they believe about God and what God can do because they see the challenges that special needs, their special needs friends have, and they see that God is working in their lives. And then the final stage is this, and this is so important, is that what if we can move from a ministry to special needs to a ministry with people who have special needs? So we're not just doing ministry to you, but we're actually co-laborers with Christ. We have people with special needs who serve at Puente del Pueblo. We have people with special needs who serve in our Sunday school rooms. It's not a ministry just to them, but it's a ministry with them. Now I know this is not possible for everyone with special needs, but for many it is in their own way, they can serve Jesus just like anybody else can. Whether this person remained blind or not, God could use this, this man to glorify himself, to glorify Jesus, one way or the other. That's our role, that's our role with special needs. I have learned some great lessons from people with special needs. Here's one, special needs families have been gifted with a grit that I can only imagine. That I can only just observe. A grit, a, a stamina, a compassion that I could only begin to even notice. To have to worry constantly about your special needs child, to have to, to have to battle through bureaucracy of trying to get care for your child to take two steps forward and three steps back some weeks in therapy with your child, to day in and day out have to explain to people your child's behavior. There's a special grit that you get that I wish that I had as a Christian because to be a Christian today requires grit. It requires compassion. Special needs family have that compassion. And they write books and they write blogs and they teach us deep, deep truths about special needs families. I want to share one with you. My wife told me this story um, years ago. In fact, I just asked her last week, I go, do you remember the story you told me? And I told her the story, and she said, I don't don't even remember telling you that story. I'm like, well, you told me. So, um, you know, maybe some of you heard this story, and as far as I know, it was like somebody famous came up with the story, and I'm not trying to steal their story, but I just don't know who to attribute it to. So um, you can come and tell me after the service if you know. But this woman... This woman has a special needs adult child, you know, and uh, living at home, and this was not an adult child that was going to be able to live independently, and so um, living at home, and uh, the child went to the restroom, and when when he was done going to the restroom, he took his excrement, and he smeared it all over the walls. Ugh. So this mom... She grabs the bucket, the scrubber, the disinfectant, and for, how, for the how-many-umpteenth time, she starts to scrape the excrement off the walls. She's crying. She's ticked off. How many times might I have to do this? Why, God? How many times am I going to have to clean my adult son's excrement off the walls? And in that moment, she heard God speak to her. Not audibly, but just as Christians do in their heart. And she heard God say this to her. She says, this is what I do for you. your sin. I wipe clean every day. Every day. We wouldn't have that story if we didn't have faithful followers of Christ raising special needs children. These are stories we can learn from that move us. We benefit from the relationships with special needs families. My friend Allison is out in the atrium she leads our Shine ministry. They do uh, something once a month called Buddy Break, where um, families with special needs kids can bring their kids here for free childcare while they go and do whatever they want to do. Go on a date, go shopping, whatever they want to do, knowing that their kid is having fun, it's completely safe, and it's completely free. What would it say to do Page County if Wheaton Bible Church said, we will take every single special needs child on that Saturday so that you can have a break. It would say we worship a big, compassionate God. His name is Jesus. And because we want to be with Jesus, we are committed to being like Jesus. That's what the church could say. So if you're interested in special needs, and caring, and for befriending, and for one day being a co-laborer with special needs, then you need to talk to Allison out there and sign up to be a, a buddy. One Saturday a month for just a few hours, you could provide a tremendous amount of compassion for a family. And many of the families Allison tells me that come do not know Jesus. They do not go to church anywhere because they don't know where they can go. So this is their first opportunity to say, oh, I can bring my kids here. They're going to be safe. Nobody's going to stare at them. They're actually going to be loved and taught the Word of God. And I can come and worship and just focus on God. Yeah, you can. So talk to Allison. Talk to safe families this week. This week, open your eyes to the needs, the special, the vulnerable that are around you. Commit to being like Jesus this week. And He will walk with you in ways in which you have not even imagined yet. Let's pray. Father, we are um, moved by Scripture and convicted by the prophet Isaiah because he speaks to us. He speaks to me, Lord. Forgive me. There are times when I've turned my back on the vulnerable, even now, even with all the knowledge that I have and all the hours I've spent in worship. There are times, Lord, when I do not act compassionately. Forgive me, Lord. Change my heart. Allow us, Father, to be a church that radically, radically cares for those who are the most vulnerable around us, especially widows, the fatherless, and the special needs. Allow this light to shine in our community and for people to ask us this question, why do you do this? And we give them the answer for the hope that we have because we believe in Jesus and his power to forgive and his power to heal. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.